You're listening to the Village Chapel Podcast, presented by Village Chapel in Kannapolis, North Carolina. We're so glad you took the time to listen. We hope this podcast serves as a source of encouragement for you throughout your week. All right, it's that time. Let's get to the message. Well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Thank you, Gwen. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Pastor Jordan. I'm the worship pastor here at Village Chapel. We're so glad you guys decided to join us today. And to all of you guys watching online, welcome. So glad you guys are checking us out. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe it's your second time, third time. We'd love to see you here in the building. Um, So today, I want to talk to you guys about one of my childhood inspirations, the Donut Man. If you guys have never uh, had the pleasure of meeting or listening to or singing with the treasure that was the Donut Man, if you were like me and you were born in the 1900s, <laughs> you, uh, you would know this man as a child, and he would be very dear to you. Uh, we have that picture. This is the Donut Man. This is Rob Evans. That is my childhood in a photo. Also, we can't forget Duncan, his faithful sidekick, Donut. So, when I was a kid, I guarantee you, I wore out those VHS tapes. And for those of you that don't know what VHS tapes are, (laughs) I work with young adults here too, so I know they don't know what they are. Uh, They're little tapes you put in a box and you press play. (laughs) Uh, But... The Donut Man had this song, and it, it has stuck with me my entire life. I'm going to sing it for you. I didn't get to sing today, so I'll sing now, okay? It goes like this. Life without Jesus is like a donut, like a donut. It's like a donut. Life without Jesus is like a donut, because there's a hole in the middle of your heart. Hey! <laughs> That song, I would, I'm never going to forget that song, you know? It's the Donut Man. And uh, there are so many things as a child that I look back on and I have fond memories of. But this time of year, Easter and Christmas are just special. We don't have very many holidays in our Christian calendar like them. But at the beginning of this week, this Palm Sunday, it's the celebration of what we call our Holy Week. And it starts on Palm Sunday and it ends on Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today and the history behind all that stuff. But it's a good day to be in church. But it's an even better day to go out and bring somebody with you next week. Amen. Hey, let's pray real quick before we dive into the Word today. Jesus, we love you. Father God, we come before you today and we just say thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for the cross. God, today we're just, we just want to hear from you, what you have to say to us. Lord, we need you, we love you, and it's in the name of above every other name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're starting our Easter series today, and the Easter series is called Messiah. And uh, if you guys notice, we have this really cool cross equals love neon sign behind me. Uh... If you didn't know, that's what that means. Cross equals love. 
And it's a part of our series, Messiah. And we hope it's just a way for you guys to kind of get a little bit more involved in the imagery of what's going on with this series. Uh, don't worry, we didn't buy a neon sign just to use it one time and for a couple of weeks. We're going to repurpose it. It's going to be a part of our decorations permanently here at the church. Um, so it's going to be a good thing. But today's message is called Of Blessings and Woe. You're thinking, on Palm Sunday? What's up, dude? But yeah, of blessings and woe. Let's talk about those two words. Uh, blessing is a noun. It means God's favor and or protection. So therefore, we can equate that blessed means favored and protected. It comes from the Greek word makarios. Now, this is such a cool word. Makarios takes on many different meanings in, in ancient Greek, but the one that the scripture writers are alluding to when they use the word blessing is this. Those who lived in another world, far from problems and worries of others, to be blessed is to be free from earthly struggles and trials. So when you hear, hey, bless you, like you sneeze, huh, God bless you, thank you. It means a lot more now, right? Somebody says that. Okay, now let's go to the complete opposite of this word, woe. Woe is also a noun. It means great sorrow or distress. Now this morning, I was riding to church, and Joaquin and I were talking, and I was like, it's not like, whoa, like, whoa, you know? It's like W-O-E, whoa. Uh, these, these two words, they couldn't be any further apart in meaning. Couldn't be more opposite. Jesus' use of these two words in Scripture is purposeful. He uses them in very distinct ways and in very specific places. But we're going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to it later. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole yet. All right? So today is Palm Sunday. Do any of you know why Palm Sunday is called Palm Sunday? It's okay. This is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> Zero judgment here. Do not pass go. Do not collect it. Oh, wait. That's Monopoly. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Uh, we better hop into the scripture before I stop, start making too many cheesy jokes, you guys. So here we go. We're going to hop into Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Now when they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately, sorry, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, and he's alluding to the prophet Zechariah here, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them, and set him, Jesus, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches, and they're talking about palm branches here, from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes went before, and those who cried out, following, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That is why we call Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday. It's the day Jesus decided to make his way into Jerusalem. But there's something a lot deeper here. And you can start to see the divine nature of God in this picture. See, Jesus and his disciples, when they entered Jerusalem, they entered it during a time of the year on their calendar called Nisan. Nisan is a part of the Hebrew calendar. It's kind of like one of our months. It falls usually in some of March and some of April in our Gregorian calendar. So, for instance, like Nisan is a month, but it's not a month. It's really confusing. I don't understand why they do things differently than us. But then again, they're God's chosen people. So one of the cool things about this is, though, so for instance, today in the Hebrew calendar is 9 Nisan 5782. That means that today is the ninth day of Nisan in the year 5782. So if you didn't know how old the earth was, now you do. Congratulations. Pretty cool. And also, in the month of Nisan, in the Hebrew calendar, they celebrated the Feast of Passover. So Passover was a festival. It's one of the most holy festivals on the Hebrew calendar. And it starts on the 14th day of Nisan, and the Jewish people typically begin the celebration by having a family get-together. They get together at one of their family's houses, and they have a thing called a Seder. And to us, it would be like a family reunion. But it happens once every year, and they go throughout the whole week. There's a lot of rules, and there's a lot of regulations that go into the Passover, but the main gist of it is that when they eat bread, it has to be unleavened. Like Pastor Jeff was talking about last week. Does anybody remember what he's talking about with leaven? It's yeast. It causes the bread to rise but it also, it represents purity. Unleavened bread is pure bread. And so, the beginning of Passover, for the whole week, Jewish people don't eat anything with leaven in it. So the origin of Passover, it comes from the book of Exodus. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Moses has petitioned Pharaoh to let his people go. God because of Pharaoh's resistance, has insisted on plaguing Egypt. So, so far, there have been nine plagues of Egypt, but this tenth plague is the last. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me? we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 5. We're also, I don't know if I mentioned this, we're reading in the NKJV today, going old school. So let's start here, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of your houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat of the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled in at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. 
You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here we see God making a point. It's not just the tenth plague, the final plague. God calls out specifically the gods of Egypt. He says, I am the Lord. You see, he's revealing his power. Throughout this whole process, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that it's about Pharaoh and Moses. It's about the Israelites being free. No, 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 no. That's just the icing on the cake. The real reason of the whole story of Exodus is for God to show himself to the people of Egypt and to the people of Israel. He tells Moses, I am, I am. God's showing off. So we better pay attention. There's power in the blood. This, my first point is the power of the blood. Blood leaves a mark. You ever cut yourself, gotten blood on your clothes? How hard is it to get a blood stain out? Do we have any nurses in the building? No? We have one. We got one. Okay. Blood's hard to get out, right? It is one of the toughest things to remove. Blood stains. It leaves its mark. Blood gives life. You ever been in an emergency situation where they say, we need blood. We need you to give blood. When people are dying and they lose too much blood, what do they need? They need blood. Blood gives life. But you see, we have one problem. Our blood is polluted. You see, God created us with kidneys, and those kidneys clean our blood. Because our sin nature has polluted it. Everything about you, everything biological, scientific, don't mistake yourself. Everything has a spiritual context. Every part of you is purposeful, and you were created out of nothing for a reason. So we see God in everything about us, every part of our being. Our blood is polluted. And when our kidneys fail on us, and our blood can't be cleaned by our kidneys, what happens? We have to have clean blood. Dialysis. They send our blood through a machine that cleans our blood. The power of the blood 
is a sign for us. It is a direct connection between us and God. He said we're created in his image, right? So let's read what the, what the word says about blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd of the church which God purchased with his own blood. Let's keep going. Colossians 1.20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. One more time. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And we got one more just for good measure. Hebrews 10.19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is everlasting blood. Jesus' blood is pure blood. Jesus' blood is life blood. Jesus' blood is the forever solution to our sin's pollution. Look to your neighbor and say, there's power in the blood of Jesus. Come on, look to him and say, there's power in the blood of Jesus. We're going to get a little old school here this morning. Yes, come on. I'm going to get to my second point here, the proven lamb. After Jesus entered Jerusalem, he went to the temple with his disciples. This is immediately after riding in. But what he found there, he was not happy with. Jesus found a temple that was full of shady creatures. Selling their stuff, trading their things, bartering silver and gold. So Jesus, he was a perfect man, but he got angry. It was a holy, righteous anger. He walks over, he starts taking tables and flipping them. He walks over and he screams and he says, You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. Does that sound like the American church to you? Come into a church, you see their bookstore, see the pastor's books that he makes a $9.7 million house out of. But yet they can't stand up for the things of the Bible when it counts. They can't stand up against abortion. They can't stand up against a man and a woman being married. But they can sell their books in their churches. I'll stop there. So, after Jesus completely changes the game in the temple, I think you'd have to have some time to cool off, right? So he and his disciples, they leave, they retire out of the city of Jerusalem to a town called Bethany, which is just on the base of the Mount of Olives. It's in the area of Bethpage, same area. And in my head, I like to think of this as kind of like Jesus getting some much-needed rest. Can you imagine being Jesus and knowing what this week has for you? He knew. It wasn't some surprise to him what was going to happen in four days. It wasn't some complete and utter secret. As a matter of fact... 
He even asked the Lord if it's his will to take it from him. But the next day, Jesus went back to Jerusalem. He begins teaching in the temple. And as he's teaching in the temple, the Pharisees start to question him. The Sadducees, the chief priests. They begin to question him on everything. So Jesus begins teaching in parables. The two sons, the wicked vine dressers, the wedding feast. Go read those. This stuff I'm talking about through this whole place, I'm not going to read you any scripture from it because I want you to read it yourself. It's powerful. Go study it. And when they realized they weren't going to break down Jesus and his parables, they moved on to something else they thought could trick him up and trip him up. They asked him about Roman taxation. Jesus saw right through it. He says, bring me that coin, you hypocrite. And he holds the coin, and he says, whose face is on this coin? And they answer, Caesar. And he replies, one of the most famous replies in the Bible, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, and give unto God what are the things of God. Without even realizing it. Without even knowing what they were doing. Those same Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests were proving Jesus to be spotless and without blemish. Remember what it said in Exodus? It says, your lamb shall be without blemish. Perfect. You starting to see this picture? Jesus was proven. He was the proven lamb. He was proven by people that didn't even know what they were doing. How amazing is God? It's like you see all these textures being woven together and you finally realize everything points to Jesus. Everything. Gosh, it's amazing. The power of Jesus' blood, the proven nature of himself, two things are set in place. The last thing that remains is sacrifice, the shedding of blood. But I'm not going to jump there today. My next point is the title of the message, Blessing and Woe. Did any of you know what Jesus' first public message was? If you do, just shout it out. What his first public message was. Who said that? Beatitudes? Yes. The Beatitudes, where did they come from? Sermon on the Mount. That was Jesus' first public message. Message. It went a little something like this. This is just an excerpt. It'll be in Matthew 5. We're going to start in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's just a little part. And that part of the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes. Blessing. Blessed. God's favor and protection on this type of soul. This isn't a person. This isn't something you can attain or publicly have. This is a mindset and an attitude. Merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. I don't see people sitting in political office with the title peacemaker or merciful, or pure in heart. Does anyone know what Jesus' last public message was? If you know, just shout it out. What was it? The cross? No. That's a good one, though. But it wasn't, it wasn't his last public message. His last public message was the seven woes to the Pharisees. And it came after the fact that they had nothing more to say, they realized in this time where they're trying to prove Jesus that they can't shake him. And so Jesus says, you know what? I think I just need to tell you who you are. We're going to be jumping through a lot of Matthew chapter 23 here, so if you can, just do your best to follow with me. I, I promise I would not use this much scripture if I didn't need to. It is so much, but we're going to get through it together. Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew 23, verse 2. The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves won't move a finger. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garment. Do you know what a phylactery is in Hebrew culture? It is this piece of leather that is wrapped around their arm and then wrapped around their hand and attached to it are parts of the Torah. They make it so large because they want it to be fancy. They want it to be seen. They make the tassels on their garment extra long so that when they're walking around and they sway around, they look like something important. Does that sound like people you see in the American church? They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Hey, Pastor. Hey, Pastor. Gosh, it's good to see you, Pastor. We're going to skip down to verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you, you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow anyone who are entering to go in. 
He's saying here, you shut off the presence of God. You don't even go in yourselves, and you're allowed to, but you don't even let anyone dare try. You take something that you're supposed to serve, you use it for granted, and then when people come to you, all you want from them is their money. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses for a pretense. Make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. This is hard stuff, man. We're going to jump to verse 20. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Just get that picture in your head. So nitpicky, so particular, you're not wearing the right clothes. I don't like that song. I don't like the color of your carpet. I really don't like the pastor's wife. Mm, He said that one thing the other day, and... I saw him at, at the bar the other night. I can't go to church with him. Don't miss the forest for the trees, folks. That's what Jesus is saying. Why do you care so much about this when the whole big picture you're missing? It's not about here. If it was about here, man, we would all be up a creek without a paddle. It's the nicest way I think I can say that. Thank God grace isn't fair. Thank God. Thank God salvation does not depend on how good I am. Thank God. You strain a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, you cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and that outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like Whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We're going to jump to verse 33. Serpents. 
you brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? We're going to hop down to 37 here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. Till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was saying goodbye. But he had some things to say before he said goodbye. Some pretty poignant and powerful things. You see, if you're sitting in your chair today and you think that none of these things apply to you, I'm glad you're here today. If I stand up here and I act like I have it all together, that none of these things apply to me, I'm just as foolish as they were. You see, the Pharisees had got caught up so much in the culture of their religion that they actually forgot the one who was coming They didn't see the Messiah. Jesus actually says, Oh, Jerusalem, you missed me in your hour of visitation. You know, you go to a funeral, they have visitation hours, calling hours, right? You see, what Jesus is saying here when he says, You missed your hour of visitation, is he's saying, You missed me. I was here and you missed me. I was among you. Man, I would have loved to have seen that. Can you imagine what it would be like to see water turned into wine? See a blind man healed? To see a leper be healed of leprosy? To see a lame man walk? To see bones form in front of your eyes? I mean, think about it. The molecular structure of water shifting to wine in front of your eyes. Man, I want to see it. That's why he told us when we pray, we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he even told the disciples, greater things we are going to do because he left his Holy Spirit to us. Do you believe it? I find myself questioning miraculous things so many times. My grandfather, he died when I was 17. Ten days before I graduated high school, my grandfather was like my dad. I've never met my biological father. So my grandfather, and he filled a lot of that void. He never got to see me lead worship one time. He never got to see me preach. He's never going to see me get married. But you see, the thing that keeps 
the beauty of that story is not the heartbreak inside of it. It's the fact that he was washed by the blood of Jesus. His polluted blood was cleansed. He was where I got the idea to talk about kidneys today. He had kidney cancer. But he didn't die from cancer. He died of a stroke. How crazy. And so for me, I found myself so much questioning, God, why? Why would you do this? It's not about here. Who we love here, who we grow old with here, who invests in us here, that's just the icing on the cake. It's not about here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I have two questions for us today as we close. Will we be of blessing or of woe? You see, blessing is an attitude. It's a mindset. We choose it. We don't earn it. We choose it. To be honest with you, there are not many things in this world we can earn worth anything. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn heaven. Honestly, I don't even think we can really earn love. It's given because. And most of the time, it's given in spite of us. But we can choose woe. We can earn woe. We can deserve woe. We have to remember. The blood of Jesus is proven. It's pure. You have to remember on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna's direct translation means heaven. Save us. Save us. My second question for you is, will you let his perfect blood cleanse your polluted blood? We all need a little spiritual dialysis. Maybe today you came in here, I don't know what's going on in your life. We all can put on some pretty pretty faces every now and then. You can walk in here and smile on your face and, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm all right. And most of the time, people don't go further than that because they don't want to. Maybe this morning you walked in here and you were hurting. Hurting. 
You're scared. You're lost. You're afraid. Do you know what drives out fear? Do you know what erases hurt? Do you know what takes away pain? It's the blood of Jesus. Maybe you walk in here today and you've never met Jesus. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard his name. Believe it or not, church, it still happens. Listen, I can tell you this one thing. And it's something I know because I've seen it. In my life, in my family's life, in my fiance's life. I've seen what happens when the blood of Jesus washes over hurt and pain. I've seen what happens when people choose to live a life of blessing instead of woe. I've seen what happens when Hosanna is a mindset and it's a realization in people's lives. Heaven save me. Will you let the blood of Jesus into your life today? Don't let it be shed in vain. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday, we're going to hear about the story of the crucifixion. It was brutal. The blood of Jesus washed the streets of Jerusalem. It flowed down the hills of Golgotha. They cast lots for his clothes. Not only when he stood up to try and breathe did he have to push through nails in his skin and in his hands. He was standing on the very thing that was killing him. But you see, he did that so that today, in this moment, right now, on 9 Nisan 5782, you could choose to let the blood of Jesus wash over your life. You could choose to be a blessing instead of full of woe. This morning, if you want to come down here and respond, this altar is open. The worship team, they're going to sing another song. There are people here that want to pray with you if you need prayer. Church, don't, don't miss it today. Don't miss it today. Because there's no better week to live out your first week as a follower of Jesus than the week of Easter. There's no better week to remember what we might have forgotten than the week of Easter, this holy week, this Passover week. You are so loved. You are so loved. Let's pray together. In the name of Jesus, I pray the blood of Jesus over this church. Father, we plead your name and your blood over this place and over our people. God, we pray more than anything else right now in this moment. God, I pray that you are changing hearts, you're changing lives, you're changing minds. 
God, I pray that you would help us to focus directly in on you right now, God. Lord, forgive us if we've forgotten your blood. Forgive us if we've forgotten what it stands for. Cleanse us, Father. Jesus, we love you. We bless your name and we worship you. You're so worthy. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's respond.